to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has he had this? And he said, From childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked.
unclean spirit, saying to it, You dumb and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him, and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he would not have anyone know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Did I ever share with you that one time I, on this very Sunday, many years ago, I preached on a ladder? I'm not going to do that today. That was a one and done type of experience. But today we, we commemorate one of the great spiritual fathers in the history of our entire Christian faith. And every fourth Sunday of Great Lent is dedicated to the honor of St. John, who was the abbot of Sinai and the author of the work called The Ladder of Divine Ascent. We call him St. John Klimakos because Klimakos in Greek means of the ladder. So he's St. John of the ladder because people really don't differentiate St. John, the abbot of Sinai, from this beautiful, classic, spiritual work of the Orthodox Church. St. John was a monk from the time that he was 16 years old. So those of you who are almost there or are right there, not unlike St. Gregory Palamas, St. John really understood the calling of God at a young age, and he left where he had grown up, all the things familiar to him, his family, and anything else that he had going in his life for something that he felt deep in his heart was far and incomparably better. He went to the area of Sinai in Palestine. Well, not in Palestine now. Now it's, it's, in, the, it's in Egypt, but uh, very close to there. And he went under the wing of a spiritual mentor. 
It was even prophesied by one of the great spiritual fathers of the area of Sinai when he was first brought to that area. This great elder bent down and literally washed his feet at the age of 16. And it scandalized his own spiritual disciple because the person that brought John to this elder was someone of great importance. And this great elder didn't wash his feet, he washed the 16-year-old's feet. And so later the disciple asked his master, this great elder that had done this, he said, what? I just washed the feet of the abbot of the monastery of St. Catherine of Sinai. What's the big deal? And he says, wait, he's not an abbot. He says he will be. And so it was an act of prophecy. This person had given clairvoyance to see the future of St. John. I think that in this 21st century, that it's really amazing that we commemorate on the fourth Sunday of Great Lent, St. John of Sinai. The Synexadion, this beautiful book of the Triodion and the Pentecostadion, the editors of this book say this. They say St. John was a true physician of souls and had great spiritual insight into men's behavior. He made detailed observations of the symptoms of men's sin-sick souls. He diagnosed their spiritual diseases and prescribed the appropriate medicine for their recovery and salvation. He showed how one could ascend the ladder of the virtue step by step and reach the promised land, fleeing the Egypt of the passions. Yet, his success was due only to his own life of constant watchfulness, constant fasting, vigils, and prayer. So he was the true spiritual father, but he received that title because of the nature of his own life. He first put into practice and experienced that which he later prescribed to others so that they too could experience the freedom from the passions and the bliss and the blessing of tasting and experiencing Christ directly. Why do I say it's amazing that we dedicate the fourth Sunday to the memory of St. John? We do because, especially in the 21st century, he is a monastic. And his work was a work that was specifically written for monastics. As a matter of fact, it was the abbot of another monastery that asked him to write this treatise so that his own monks would have something to build, build them up in the, the spiritual life. But it became something that transcended just the monastic world. The whole church began to read it and to benefit it. Priests, monks, and lay people. And yet today, particularly in America, which for so many years, probably a hundred, at least in, in the Greek Orthodox world, didn't have any monastic witness to speak of. 
The entire planting of the church here in this soil, on this continent, was devoid of the monastic witness. That's not so true among the Russians, because we know that it was monastics who brought, in some ways, the faith over to Alaska and planted it and, and ministered to the traders there. But in terms of the faith on this soil, it wasn't largely brought by monastics at all. It was brought by families just like yourselves who had immigrated here. And for almost a hundred years, there was no true monastic witness. And so when monasticism came, it had been after the church had been established for a long time and there was a huge clash of worldviews, even though they both existed within the Orthodox life and church. This clash of worldviews has taken place in the last 25 years, in our lifetime, in our experience. And yet, it's a beautiful thing to see that the Orthodox Church upholds the life and the teaching and the witness of a great monastic father. And it reminds me of something that I learned in seminary, that the Orthodox Church is like a three-legged stool. If it, only, if it loses a leg, it's impossible to balance yourself on it in a restful way. It requires all three legs, and that's the clergy, the laity, and the monastics. And so, it's very important for us to pause and to take in and realize that we cannot fully express the apostolic faith without their witness, without their experience, and without what they offer us, not only in the past, but also in the present. Now, when we look at this work, and we know that he entitled it The Ladder of Divine Ascent, and we look at the icon, we see literally a ladder stretching from earth all the way up to the heavens. We know that John of Sinai was inspired by the vision that Jacob in Genesis saw of a ladder stretching from earth to heaven and angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. We know that that ladder then becomes a type for us in in the church of the mother of God, the Theotokos, because she is that ladder stretching from earth to heaven, whereby God comes down and takes His human nature from her, and whereby we, sharing now in that nature united to God's divinity, can ascend and reach by grace the kingdom of heaven and union and communion with God through the person of Jesus Christ and through the work and offering of the Theotokos. And we know that this work has 30 chapters in it. 30 different steps. One building upon the next. The first steps being the foundation, and then every step thereafter building on the one that came before it. Teaching us that the spiritual life is one incremental step at a time. And I wanted to just focus very briefly on the first four steps. Not one at a time in a sense, but kind of grouping the first three and then looking a little bit at the fourth. So if we look at 
Steps one, two, and three, they're very interrelated. Step one is on renunciation of the world. Step two is on detachment. And step three is on exile or pilgrimage. Now, if I were to read some excerpts from this, let me first start with what he says about exile. Because for a monastic, it literally means to leave your family, to leave the world as you know it, and to go someplace else, and to shut yourself in and enclose yourself. But for us, that's not necessarily what it means. It's interesting what St. John himself says in one simple sentence. He says, exile means that we leave forever everything in our own country, and you can put that in quotes, that prevents us from reaching the goal of loving God with everything we have. Let me repeat that. Exile or pilgrimage means that we leave forever everything in our own country that prevents us from reaching the goal of loving God with everything that we have. And on his first chapter, Renunciation, he says, Let us eagerly run our course as men called by our God and King, lest, since our time is short, we be found in the day of our death without fruit and perish of hunger. Let us please the Lord as soldiers please their King. Because we are required to give an exact account of our service after the campaign. Let us fear the Lord, not less than we fear beasts. For I have seen men who were going to steal and were not afraid of God. But hearing the barking of dogs, they at once turned back. And what the fear of God could not achieve was done by the fear of animals. Let us love God at least as much as we respect our friends. For I have often seen people who have offended God and were not in the least perturbed about it. And I have seen how some people provoked their friends in some trifling matter and then employed every artifice, every device, every sacrifice, every apology, both personally and through friends and relatives, not sparing gifts in order to retain their former love. Another thing that St. John says about these first three steps and speaking about them as a foundation of the spiritual life in its entirety, he says a good foundation of three layers and three pillars is the following. Innocence or purity, fasting, and self-control. He calls these the three pillars of the foundation of the spiritual life. Innocence or purity, fasting, and self-control. And I think this is where the teaching of St. John segues so beautifully with the Gospel. And I was watching as many of you were looking at your weekly announcements and Deacon Innocent was reading the Gospel, especially towards the end when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says that this kind of demon, this kind of captivity of the passions, 
can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. And you're looking at your weeklies because we left out the word and fasting. There are many translations in English of the New Testament that leave out and fasting, including the Revised Standard Version. But the church purposely makes sure that it includes the and fasting part. And when you look at the Greek, you find that the earlier manuscripts in the Greek had and fasting, and that later Greek manuscripts had only by prayer. And you can see that the Orthodox Church being seamless and in a continuity all the way back to the time of the Apostles chooses purposely to make sure that it includes prayer and fasting because we know that it forms the foundation of all that comes thereafter. And so I wanted to apply just briefly with you what for us renunciation of the world, detachment from earthly things, and exile or pilgrimage can mean for us who are not going to necessarily leave our homes, who are not necessarily going to leave our families, who are not necessarily going to leave our country. What can it mean for us? It can mean that we renounce and detach ourselves and become exiles from the spirit of the fallen world all around us. We don't have to go anywhere to do that. But we do have to make decisions. We have to be resolved that we are going to take a step back and try to gain the mind of Christ, the mind of the church, to understand His commandments and what is pleasing to Him, to look around us, especially when we're in church, at the icons and to see the people, the men, the women, the children that have been pleasing to God and to examine their lives to see just what it means to renounce the world, to detach ourselves from earthly things and to be exiles, not from our true homeland, but from the fallen world in which we are surrounded. One thing that I've been thinking about, and I talked to the high schoolers at some length yesterday, is we can see the spirit of the fallen world through all of the different forms of media, whether it be music, whether it be television, whether it be radio, whether it be the internet and all that comes through the internet into our living rooms, into our offices, into our bedrooms, into our cars, into our pockets, constantly glued to our hands, constantly in front of our faces. This is a serious threat to the very foundation of what St. John is talking about that forms his ladder of divine ascent. If we're serious about purity of heart and innocence, if we're serious about fasting, and I don't necessarily mean from meat and dairy products and fish and wine and oil, but from all that's out there that can bombard our mind and our thoughts and our senses and penetrate our heart 
and pollute us, then we have to be very serious about renouncing the things that can come into our hearts, into our souls, and do great damage through media. We have to put up a filter that is serious if we're going to be serious about ascending this ladder of divine ascent and approaching Christ, both for ourselves and for our children. It's something that we cannot do alone. It's something that we need to support each other in. And it's something that can only take place by prayer and fasting. And that leads me to the fourth step. The first three steps say what we should renounce, what we should detach ourselves from, and what we should be exiled from. The fourth step, which by the way is by far the longest chapter and the most important step in John's mind, is obedience. It's the positive step. We detach ourselves and renounce and exile ourselves from this, 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 and this, and we attach ourselves and we cling to the virtue of obedience, to the commandments of Christ, to the teachings and life of the church, and to obedience to our spouses and our spiritual fathers, and even the needs of our children and our neighbors and our employers and our co-workers and our friends. We become obedient to whatever is good and honorable and noble and pleasing to God. This is a very positive thing. And it is the fourth and longest step of the ladder of divine ascent. So, my dear brothers and sisters, without going over the entire book, I thought that St. John had one short paragraph that sums up, I think, what he's trying to say to us who are living in the world but are called to not be of the world. And this is that paragraph, and I'll close with it. Some people living carelessly in the world have asked me, and keep in mind we're talking 7th century. Some people living carelessly in the world have asked me, we have wives and are beset with social cares. And how can we lead the solitary life? And I replied to them, Do all the good you can. Do not speak evil of anyone. Do not steal from anyone. Do not lie to anyone. Do not be arrogant towards anyone. Do not hate anyone. Do not be absent from the divine services. Be compassionate to the needy. Do not offend anyone. Do not wreck another man's domestic happiness. Be content with what your own wives can give you. If you behave in this way, you will not be far from the kingdom of heaven. Amen.